Lord, again, we thank you for this day. Leave all the other distractions to, to the side, Lord, so that we can focus solely upon you uh, this day and every day of our lives. In your name, amen. All right. Uh, today's message uh, I had entitled, Wait or Wait? Now, most of today's message will be looking at the word wait, W-A-I-T, not wait, W-E-I-G-H-T. I might throw that in there, though, a little bit later in the, in the message, though. But mainly we're looking at that word, W-A-I-T, wait. You know, as I, pre- I was preparing this message, uh, I found out that we do a lot of waiting in our lives. We even wait to be born. Uh, usually it's the nine months. Uh, usually, again, uh, when a woman uh, becomes pregnant, you know, uh, you know, the baby doesn't come out right away. Right? There's this developing nine months where the baby's in the mom's womb developing uh, and the body is forming. That's how God designed. So there's this nine months of waiting. Then finally we do. We are born into this world. And then we have to wait to be fed. We have to wait for a diaper change. We have to wait to talk, to walk. Right again, when the baby's born... He doesn't turn to his mom and dad. Hey, how you doing? How are you? No, it, it takes time. There is a development. Again, we have to wait. Uh, my grandson, Reuben, it took time for him to walk. You know, he had to roll over first, and then the, the slow crawl, and then you got the weeble-wobble. He's standing up and falling down, and finally he's starting to take those first steps, and then finally he's really starting to walk now. Again, it's a stage. It's this wait. Uh, now, again, as we're old enough now, we start going to school. Okay, uh, again, maybe unless you're homeschooled or something like that. But usually regular school, you have to wait for the bus. You have to wait in line at the cafeteria. You have to wait 12 years to graduate. You know, talk about a wait, right? You can't just finish the first day of kindergarten and say, huh, I'm done. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, we have to wait to drive a car legally, right? Usually 17 or 18. You have to have the permit, the driving class, the driving test. Okay, there is this wait. Uh, we have to wait online at stores, banks, restaurants. Uh, I guess Yahoo for online buying now and online banking, I guess. So that does alleviate that, some of that. But there's this wait. As adults, we wait as, at amusement parks for rides, uh, for airplanes. You, you, you're waiting to get on, you're waiting to get off. <laughs> there's this constant wait. Uh, doctors and dentist offices have waiting rooms. So this way groups of people can wait together. Okay, there's this waiting. Uh, again, with our internet, the world ends, right, if our internet doesn't work. Uh, a phone app. Now I can show you. Where's my phone? This phone, I mean, it's great and everything like that, but sometimes, like, my, my app doesn't immediately go. I'm going like this. Where, how come this isn't working? <laughs> it's, it's, it, again, we like things quick. We like things right away. Uh, internet ads, right, are always promising the, the faster speed, the, the more. It's right away, right away. Uh, I don't think there is, again, there's a soul in here that uh, when stuck waiting in a traffic jam, right, we're going, yahoo, yay, this is great. You look around you, no one's doing that. No one likes to be stuck in a traffic jam. I don't. Uh, again, we have to wait sometimes. Uh, again, I work with the highway department, and a lot of times we'll shut down lanes for repair, whether it be pothole repair or uh, picking up a dead animal in the lane or whatever. And again, we have to shut down lanes sometimes. Uh, sometimes there's a whole road closure with a serious accident. We have to shut the whole road down and get people off an exit, and people go out of their minds waiting, waiting to get off, cutting people off, uh, driving on the right shoulder. I'm sure you've seen this too in a traffic jam. People just, they, they get desperate. Uh, some people turn around the center median to go the other way. I mean, just the people cannot stand to wait. Waiting is very hard sometimes. 
Matter of fact, this brings me, I was watching uh, a show one time. Uh, it was very similar to Candid Camera. And again, Candid Camera, if you remember the show, you know, they have the uh, cameras that are hidden, and then uh, you see people's reactions without them knowing it because they're on camera. So this show, uh, again, was very, I thought it was very clever. They had this pedestrian crosswalk. So from here to, like, over there to that door. And they had this crosswalk. And... Uh, this crosswalk, the show had these elderly actors and actresses with their canes and their walkers. And again, I'm sure a lot of you dear ones here can identify with this. When, when your body, as you get older, it starts to slow down, parts start to slow down, the legs start to slow down, and it can be a challenge. Uh, I can almost identify with this a little bit too. I mean, I mean, thank the Lord, I feel fine. But I mean, as far as playing softball, I used to be able to run like a gazelle. Now I can run more like a hippo. I mean, just again, the, the, the body changes, so I can identify with this a little bit. So again... Uh, how it pictures, again, these elderly acts and actresses, and they had their canes and their walkers, and what they would do, they were being led by their group leader. And from the start of the crosswalk to the end of the crosswalk, they were going to a store. That's what they wanted to go to. So now the cars, as by law, the cars would stop at the pedestrian crosswalk. So they would stop, and here this, this group, you know, very quietly, going along, going along the crosswalk. Now, they would be almost at the other side of this crosswalk when the group leader would see the sign of the store's door and it would say, closed. Oh, you'd see him go like this and he'd go to his group, go that way, we've got to go the other way. So here they would go, deet, 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 back across, back where they started from, deet, 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 back across the store. Now, immediately, you could start, the cameras are focused on the drivers now. The drivers would start getting a little impatient. You know, they'd be, oh, <laughs> looking around. Now, the real clincher was they'd get back almost to where they started, and then the store door would open. And the store owner would say, come on down, come on, we're open, we're open, come on down. So what would the group do? And they'd start going like this again, back toward the store, to the open. And drivers would be going out of their minds. They'd be up in the air with their arms, and uh, I think even a few got out of the car saying, what's going on? People hate to wait. So just a good little show. Uh, so even, and I was, I was thinking through this, even at the end of our lives, uh, you know, where our bodies slow down, we have to wait longer to get to where we're going. Again, isn't that a challenge for you dear ones here that are, are limited and, and it takes time to get to where you're going. There, there is this wait. It's not quick as in, your, in the younger days right away. Even at a funeral home, there's lines. People are waiting to sign in and and pay respects to dear one, uh, departed one's family. Uh, again, there's this line, there's this wait. Uh, and I guess really, unless you're of Jewish where you get buried at sunset, you have to wait to be buried even. There, there's this wait, there's this constant wait throughout our life. You know, as we look into God's Word today, we see a lot of waiting in the Bible as well. So many examples. But uh, we'll just focus on a, a, just a few today. We look at Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. So if you want to feel free to uh, turn to chapter 39 of Genesis. Again, that's the beginning, first book of the Bible, book of Genesis. Genesis 39. And you have to forgive me because we're going to be going throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Bible today. So we'll be kind of be going, running around a little bit. So. But again, if you want to turn, that, that's great to follow along. Genesis chapter 39. Now again, Joseph... Uh, is being sold into slavery by his own brothers. He's sold into slavery. 
and then thrown into prison, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. So that's kind of the update so far. Now we're going to start in Genesis 39, verses 20 to 23. I'm going to start there, and I'll just keep on reading a little bit. Again, we're starting at Genesis 39, verses, starting at verse 20. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Now I'm going to start in verse 40. Then it came about, after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. So here the cupbearer has a dream, and the baker has a dream the same night. Uh, verse 6. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now, there, now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. So again, Joseph's saying he's done nothing wrong, but here I am in jail. Now when the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. So again, here the chief baker saying, hoo, 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 hey, he made a favorable interpretation of this guy's dream, the cupbearer's dream. Oh, I bet I'm going to get a good favorable interpretation too. But we're going to see that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, verse 16. Uh, so, okay, so the chief uh, cup, uh, baker uh, says about his dream. Okay, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. Verse 17. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. 
Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Again, I don't think this is the interpretation that Baker was kind of expecting. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office. And he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So here Joseph asks the cupbearer, please, you know, remember me when you leave. <laughs> he totally forgets. Forgets all about it. Uh, chapter 41. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. Let's stop there. So again, two full years goes by, and they, uh, Joseph is still in this prison. <laughs> After two full years. So that's, that's a wait. Okay? And that's not easy. And that's like, it's not like the prison with the Taj Mahal or uh, you know, a, a Hampton Inn. The prison was like, more like a pit uh, with rats and uh, unclean conditions. It was just no place to want to be at. So Joseph remains in prison, again, waiting, waiting to get out of prison. But again, after two full years, uh, Pharaoh then has this dream, and then Joseph, well, the cupbearer says, oh, yeah, hey, I know a guy that can interpret dreams, and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And we're going to read at the end of this, uh, chapter 41, verses 39 to 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, you know, about his dream, and Joseph interpreted it, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So quite a change. You're in prison, and all of a sudden you've interpreted the, uh, Pharaoh's uh, dream, and he had now second in command of all of Egypt. So quite a turnaround. But again, there is this wait, this two-year wait. Let's look at another uh, example of waiting. Moses, he leaves leading the Israelites to the promised land. Uh, this can be found in Numbers chapter 13. If you want to turn there, that's fine. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to start with verse 25. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, I'll start with. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days. So again, 12 spies are sent out to, to spy out this land, which is to be the promised land. So they're sent out there. <coughs> so they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days. They proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So again, so far, they're not getting this good report from, from most of these spies. But then Caleb. Now Caleb and Joshua, they're one of the two spies that 
are in favor of, of this good report of the land. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So again, just bad news from these ten other spies that this can't be done. Chapter 14 now, we'll continue. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? And why is the Lord bringing us into this land, to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So you can almost see a full-blown mutiny going on here, coming up against Moses and Aaron. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Again, these two, Joshua and Caleb, they're the ones in favor of getting the land, in a good report. And uh, we're going to find out why in, in a few minutes. But here they are tearing their clothes, Joshua and Caleb, tearing their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. and Do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Again, what a change in perspective. Here the ten other spies are saying that we're going to become the prey of the Israelites. But here Joshua and Caleb say, no, they're the prey. They're the ones that are going to fall because God is with us. Their protection... Again, this is Caleb talking uh, and, uh, and uh, Joshua saying that their protection has been removed from them, from the enemy. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And again, I'll just jump down to verse 22 of uh, chapter 14 of Numbers. Verse 22. Surely all the men who have seen my glory, this is the Lord talking now, surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. 
Your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. Even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Again, those are the two spies that gave the favorable report, the good report. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they shall know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they shall suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out, the land, which again was 40 days, uh, for every day shall bear your guilt a year, so henceforth the 40 years. And you shall know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they shall die. I'll end it there. So again, uh, because of disobedience, 40 years they are traveling in the wilderness. That's a long time to get to the promised land. Again, there's this wait because of their disobedience. No, too, Moses, Moses uh, dies before entering the promised land because he, too, had been disobedient uh, in, a, in an instance uh, where striking the rock. So, again, Moses doesn't go into the promised land, but Joshua and Caleb do enter the promised land, again, for their faithfulness and for their good report of the land. So, again, another prime example of waiting, waiting. And, you know, we don't have to look far, even, uh, waiting for Jesus the Messiah to come. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, again, this is a very popular verse, especially around Christmas time, you'll hear this verse, I'm sure. But Isaiah 7, 14, and again, this is prophesied 700 years before uh, our Messiah's birth, the Lord Jesus' birth. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Again, which meaning God with us. But again, this is prophesied 700 years before Jesus even makes the scene as the Messiah, again, coming as a baby. And we read that uh, fulfillment of that prophecy in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Again, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, again, you start off with the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that even fits in with prophecy, being in the line of David. But we come to verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew, talking about the birth of our Lord Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Again from Isaiah 7.14. Which translated, translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth 
to his son, and he called his name Jesus. So again, you have this weight of Jesus the Messiah being born, this 700-year wait. As Jesus moves along in his ministry and his life, we say there's also a wait as he comes to the cross. In Luke chapter 23, I'm going to start reading in verse 33 about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Luke 23, starting at verse 33. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, the sun being obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the multitudes who came together for the spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. And it was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the woman who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. This is chapter 24 of Luke. <clears throat> and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So again, isn't it interesting that God uh, in, the, in, the, in the Word and the flesh being Jesus didn't rise from the dead right away when he was crucified on that cross. 
he allowed himself to be buried those three days, that three days of waiting, and, then the, and that victorious rising from the dead that third day, as was told to, the, to them, to the uh, disciples, to his followers. So that third day, that third day of waiting. And now as you go through the Bible, and as, we as believers today, do we not wait longing for his second coming? There's this wait. The, the first coming, uh, you know, it's very humble means. He came as a baby, and really only few people really ever knew of his birth. Uh, you had the shepherds, you had some, the wise men. Uh, so there were some that did know, but not a whole lot. They had no room for the inn, right, for Mary and, and, and Joseph and the, and the expectant mother, the, you know, baby Jesus. So here, uh, the first coming is very humble, very, uh, not too many knew his coming, the first coming. But his second coming will be so different. And again, Revelation chapter 1, just reading two verses from Revelation about his second coming. Revelation chapter 1. That's the last book of the Bible. So we've been in Genesis, the first book. Now we go all the way over to the end. Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So again, the eternal Lord God, the, the everlasting one. He will return and every eye will see him. And he will come uh, as the rightful king. Uh, he will come with many crowns on his head, it says in Revelation. So those, this, this revelation, again, that all eyes will see him. It will be a whole different second coming. But again, that we as believers, we should be longing, waiting for that second coming of Christ. And again, in the Bible, now the Lord, he wants us to wait on him. He wants us to. But now, this kind of waiting is not an inactive waiting. It's not, uh, you know, putting our hands in our pockets and looking around, uh, what time is it? You know, it, that, that's not the waiting it's talking about in the Bible. This kind of waiting is an active waiting. Uh, it is a setting of our hope on God's promises in his word, in him. It is, it is something active that we're doing. Uh, and again, a lot of these verses... I'll start off with the Old Testament. But a lot of these verses I think you have, I'm sure, heard before. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Isaiah 40, 31 says this. And again, I'm sure a lot of you guys are are familiar with some of these verses. Uh, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Psalm 27.14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Again, when you see something repeated in the Bible, that's for emphasis, that's like an underlining, this is important, wait, wait for the Lord. And again, at the end of that that verse, yes, wait for the Lord, so important. For when you do wait, when you're putting your hope on the Lord, your heart will be strengthened, your heart can take courage. And Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3, Again, a very familiar uh, passage, especially I think this is uh, even in a hymn about great is God's faithfulness. Uh, and again, around if you're sure, Thanksgiving time or testimony time, you can hear this being said too, and it's so true. But here, uh, Lamentations chapter 3, I'll start with verse 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. 
They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good to wait on the Lord. And then Psalm 25, verse 5, a few pages back from Psalm 27. Psalm 25, verse 5, Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Again, this waiting is a good waiting. It is an active waiting, though. It's not passive. New Testament. New Testament as well talks about waiting on the Lord. Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 to 25, says this, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Do we not wait for that day when we'll have brand new bodies, when these old, worn-out bodies, these physical bodies, will cease, and someday we'll be given brand new resurrection bodies and we'll be with the Lord forever and ever? Do we not hope for that day, wait for that day expectantly? Uh, Galatians 5.5 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. There again, there's that waiting, that active waiting, the hope of righteousness. Hebrews 9.28. Hebrews 9.28. That's a little further uh, in the New Testament. Hebrews 9.28. says this. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. Again, as we are, we, those who are believers were eagerly awaiting him. When he comes, it will be one of victory, one of uh, uh, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. It will be a great day. And then finally, James. Again, in James chapter uh, 5. This is just right after the book of Hebrews, we have James. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits. He waits for the precious produce of the soil being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So in other words, it's also an encouragement. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep pressing on for the Lord. Do not give up. Keep on, keep on keeping on. Waiting, waiting, giving that act of waiting, that hope. Again, this waiting on God, uh, it means it's an act of, it's uh, and again, it's not on our own doing. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us that we are active in our prayers, whether it be individually or in a group setting. Spending time in His Word. That's so important too as we grow. Spend time in His Word each day. Seeking His promises. Looking for chances to proclaim His name each day. And again, I'm not to say to you right now, I'm some Billy Graham at, at where I go to work and <laughs> I'm up on a pedestal here. Well, you know, workers, you know, again, it's something I have to work on as far as proclaiming his name each day, uh, when the opportunity arises at the appropriate time, 
And just playing the seed, that's what the Lord wants us to do, just to plant the seed. Let Him do the harvesting. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. Again, this of the Old Testament in Psalms uh, talks about waiting. Just two verses of Psalm chapter 130 in the book of Psalms. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait. And in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. So again, repeated wise, my soul waits for the Lord. It's the emphasis, double, double score, underline that. More than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. So again, that's repeated as well, the watchman for warm in the morning. It's important. Uh, I think of it like that watchman, like a soldier on guard. Uh, nighttime, especially in that day, in these times that were written in the ancient times, there were no light bulbs. There was no artificial light. Uh, so what was nighttime was pitch blackout. You cannot see the hand in front of your face. Uh, but again, you're on guard. You're, you're looking for the enemy. And again, the best time for the enemy would be attack would obviously be at nighttime, under concealment, under darkness. So you'd be straining, I'm sure. You'd be probably trying to hear with your ears the slightest sound of a branch cracking or a, any kind of voices being uh, whispered at all. So again, you're, you're straining to hear from your ears anything going on. But your eyes are straining as you wait for that first glimmer of daylight. The enemy will be hesitant to surprise attack in broad daylight. You'll be better able to see as a guard as well. So you're straining, you're waiting. Uh, just, you, know, you can't wait for that first glimmer of daylight. And, you know, I kind of, I do assimilate to that a little bit. I know, again, with my job, I plow at night a lot of times with the snow. And if it's really snowing bad, I cannot see a thing. I'll be honest with you. I, <laughs> it's so hard to see at nighttime when the snow's blowing around, it's dark out, because uh, some sections of the, of the roadway are not lighted. Uh, and again, the, the snow starts sticking on the windshield, and it just, it's, I'm sure you guys are going through, going, going through a snowstorm. It's a horrible thing when you cannot see. Uh, but you know, you wait, and as I'm going through the night, I'm really waiting and longing for that first glimmer of daylight. Because when that first glimmer of daylight comes, you can start seeing your surroundings better. You kind of kind of get an idea, okay, I, I kind of have an idea where I am. And uh, we do have what's called these snow stakes up, but sometimes even them, if they're missing, it, it makes it really hard to see the road. So again, daylight is so much better, and you, you're really so glad when that comes. And just like that watchman, he is yearning for that daylight to come. So again, this is a challenge. The challenge for you and me. Are we waiting on the Lord? Am I waiting on the Lord? Are you waiting on the Lord? Again, if you are a believer, the Lord desires us to be waiting on Him. And if you're not a believer, again, is the... Uh, is the weight of your sin overpowering your life. And that weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, is that weight bearing you down? Is it like having a piano on your back? The weight of your sin, the guilt. And today, won't you come to Jesus today to wait, W-A-I-T, upon Him? For He will forgive you of all your sins. That's His promise if you come to Him. John 3.16, again a very familiar verse, I'm sure to a lot of you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And I'll get to the word, that word begotten. That's a very special word. Uh, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, whoever comes to Him. That word begotten, though, is a very interesting word. That word begotten is a beautiful, describes the beautiful union and oneness of, of really the Father and the Son. You think of Jesus and God uh, being the same but being 
uh, separate in their roles, but even in the Holy Spirit as well, where they form this beautiful oneness, this beautiful unity. So here God gave His only begotten Son. Again, that's a special term. I think of it if I had uh, my buddy over here, David Moore, up with me. Dear friend, I love him to death, uh, brother in the Lord, but if I were to have my sons, Stephen and Josh, come up here, well, they'd be my begotten. They're, they are of my flesh, of my bloodline. So that, that's a unique relationship. And here we see God gave His only begotten Son for us. How wonderful His love is for us. Again, let's uh, end this time in prayer, and then really we'll be uh, getting our hearts ready for communion. Lord, again, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, Your Word is, is truth, unerring, every word. And we thank You for that. We thank You that You are the supreme author of Your Word. And that we pray that each day, Lord, we will feed upon it. For we need you, Lord, and we need your word. So again, we thank you for this time and the remainder of this time that we can be with you. Amen.